So we're sort of beginning that curve coming down the home stretch in Ephesians. We're going to wrap up chapter 5 today, and then uh, next week we'll begin uh, chapter 6. And I, I want to talk about this idea of becoming who you are. That's been the title of this series, and it's understanding this letter that Paul has written to the church in Ephesus is understanding who you are in Jesus. This letter is written to those who have placed their faith in Jesus and now sort of understanding who you are in him and what that means, what you're capable of, and, and what God wants from you ultimately. One of the things that we don't talk about a whole lot or sort of kind of this hard to understand concepts is spiritual warfare. And, and what Paul talks about in this, in this Bible, in this book, these letters that he's written, is that there is a, a war happening, a war that you can't see. And he says, he says, we're not fighting against flesh and blood. He says, we're fighting against principalities and authorities that we can't even see. Now, those may cause the wars and the battle against flesh, but it's, it's that layer underneath that's causing the strife, causing the hurt, causing the pain, these spiritual attacks that are going to happen. And so what do we do about it? How do we fight against it? Because I think so many times, often we find ourselves sort of hanging on just by our fingertips when those spiritual attacks come and we're feeling sort of a, this oppression, these attacks, and we're just hanging on for dear life. And what Paul would say is, no, 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 no. Do you know who you are? Do you know in the name of Jesus what kind of warrior you can be? That you can actually choose to fight back. You can actually choose where to fight back. You get to pick the battleground against the enemy. You get to take him out at the knees. We're going to be talking about that today. And you're like, oh my gosh, what did I get myself into? Okay, honesty time. Show of hands, who has seen the movie The Princess Bride? Oh, that's not nearly as many as I was hoping for. Because now you're not going to understand like half the message. You might as well just go on home now. <laughs> no, stay, stay, stay. You have a homework assignment though. You have to go home and actually watch the movie now because I'm going to say some things and you're going to be like, what is this guy talking about? The movie The Princess Bride, what I love about it is sort of this, this idea of this, this young man who's in love, who is willing to submit everything to this woman, the common phrase that he uses to identify himself to his young Princess Buttercup is, as you wish. Whatever you need, whatever you want. And he goes away and she gets sort of taken captive to marry Prince Humperdinck. And, you know, he comes back and he brings the fight to where she is to fight for her. And that's what I love about the movie, right? It's not just this idea of, well, she's just stuck and has to marry this horrible prince. No, no, no. He comes back and he fights for her. He takes the fight to them. And that's what you and I have been called to do. We are in a spiritual battle, make no mistake. And through this book, this, this book of Ephesians, what Paul is doing is, is we're being prepared to train to fight these spiritual battles. And if maybe you're new and, 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 and new to Christianity or new to faith, or maybe this is your first time ever in a church, again, make no mistake, there is a level of warfare happening over your heart, over your mind, over your soul that we can't see. And so what do we do to train ourselves to be prepared for it? 
first I want to kind of understand where we've been. Because right now we're, we're looking at the end of chapter 5 in Ephesians. If you have your Bibles, you can open up to chapter 5 in Ephesians. But I kind of want to look at where we've been and then where we're going to go. And it's important to understand, like Paul's laying out these tactics for spiritual warfare. So how do we, how do we go about doing it? And one of the first things he talks about, first and foremost, is knowing who you are. Knowing who you are in Christ. And at the beginning of this book, he says, did you know that you were dead in your trespasses? Before Christ, before Jesus entered your life, that there, you were dead in your sin. And what can a dead man do? Tell no tales. Right? A dead man can't do anything. He says, but by the grace of God, through your faith, you are saved. This is the gift that God gives you. Not so that you can boast about how amazing you are, about what you've done, but rather that so you can embrace this life that God has for you, becoming who you are. So he kind of walks us through. Hey, this is who you are in Jesus. You, Jesus calls you, God calls you one of his own, one of his own children, that you're worthy of this inheritance of eternity with him forever when you place your faith in him. Know who you are. Know who you've been called. And how many times does that spiritual warfare attack us and try to defame us and dename us and we get filled with these lies in our head about what we think we are? I'll be honest, negative self-talk is one of those things that I struggle with, right? Something goes wrong, something goes haywire, and I start questioning who I am. Well, maybe I'm not supposed to be. Maybe I'm not, maybe I didn't, maybe I don't understand. Maybe I'm really not where I'm supposed to be. That's spiritual warfare, friends. And what Paul is saying, here's how to prepare yourself against that. First, know who you are. And then he talks about knowing how to fight and the whole middle section, the last few weeks that we've been, that Pastor Roy's been teaching, we've been learning how to fight. And that's this life that we've been called to live, living in love. In fact, we're going to look at this verse, but at the beginning of chapter 5, he talks about being an imitator of God, living this life. Not because it's an expectation or a requirement to make God happy, but because we've been loved, we choose now to respond in kind and live this life worthy of God. What we're going to be talking about today is knowing where to fight. Know your battleground. Know where that battle is going to take place. And then where, where Pastor Roy is going to begin us next week is with what tools we have to fight. Knowing your equipment for fighting. We're going to get into what's been called the, the armor of God. But starting off today, first know who you are. I'm an adopted child of God. I'm called one of God's own, his special creature, his special creation. He loves me for exactly who I am. And then I need to know how to fight. And here's how, what he says. Back at the beginning of the chapter, Ephesians 5.1, he says, therefore be imitators of God as beloved children. Walk in love. You want to know how to fight? Walk in love. Love the people around you. Well, what if they spit in my face and I want to punch them back? Love them. What? Yeah, yeah, It goes against everything that would seem natural and normal for us. Love them. You want to bring the war to the enemy? Love the people around you. As Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. 
So what does that look like? What's the how? Well, if you jump to the end of this section, he says, by submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So you want to love like Christ? Then submit to one another. And it seems counterintuitive, right? It seems like, well, I, that seems weak. And the interesting thing is another thing that Paul says is in our weakness, God becomes the one that is strong. And his strength comes through when we would appear weak. But I guarantee you this, to love the people around us, to submit to one another takes more strength than you could imagine. Something that we have to rely upon God for. And so when we get into this idea now of knowing where to fight, knowing where this battle is going to take place, Paul begins in our home, in our marriage. Mowage. <laughs> See? Mowage is what brings us together today. See, I told you, you're not going to understand what's going on because you haven't seen the movie. This is a classic, people. I'm a little disappointed. We have failed. <laughs> love. True love. See, now you're curious, aren't you? See, you're going to go home. Here's your Sunday afternoon. You're going to go home, get your comfies on, and you're going to watch The Princess Bride. I have won. Doesn't matter what, what else you hear of this message today as long as you do that. I'm just kidding. But he starts with our marriage, and here's what he have to say. Next verse, 522, he says, Wives, submit to your own husbands. Husbands, eyes right here. Don't look at your wife. Don't give her a nudge. What I want you to do is if you have your Bible open, you can just dog ear that page. Take a screenshot if you need to. And then when you get home in secret, you can highlight that. And then when things get a little heated, you can say, excuse me. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Don't do that. Eyes right here. Don't look at your wife. Because there's a caveat to this. He says, yeah, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. What Paul is saying is this is a different type of submission rather than just rolling over and allowing yourself to be trampled upon. That's not what Paul is saying. Now, it's interesting, though, because applying a little bit of context is, is important in this situation. Because back then, they, they actually had this, you know, they're, they're, the, the Greeks and the Romans, kind of this culture, they had this, the Greco-Roman house code rules, they actually had rules listed out about how things were to be. And what Paul is doing is sort of rewriting this. Because they would have said, the man is dominant. The, the husband controls everything in the house. There, I was reading that there were marriage contracts that said the wife wasn't even allowed to speak. Husbands, right here, right here. <laughs> and Paul's saying, no, 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 no. The marriage that God wants you to have looks a little bit different than the culture surrounding us. Throughout the, the entire New Testament, Paul emphasizes the dignity 
of, of womanhood. In fact, if you look at Galatians 3.28, it says, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Man or woman, you all hold a significant value to who God is. There's no ranking system here. Warren Wiersbe is a Christian author. He writes this, and it puts it in such a sweet little bubble. He says, submission has nothing to do with the order of authority, right? Submission has nothing to do with who ranks over each other. He says, but rather it's the operation, how that is lived out, how it is given, and how it is received. When Jesus was with his disciples at the, the Last Supper, this last gathering they had together, the very first thing he does, Jesus has been this man that has been journeying with his disciples for the last three years. He's been their leader. He's been the guy taking the charge. He's been leading it all, showing them this example of what it means to be a follower of Christ. And you know what the first thing he does when they walk into that room? He's the one that takes off his robe and goes around and washes the feet of all his disciples. They're dirty, nasty feet. It's Jesus the one that's doing that. It has nothing to do with the order of authority. Paul is not saying husbands rank higher or have more authority than the wife. What Paul is saying is that it has to do with the operation of authority this heart of submission, of allowance, of relenting. He goes on to say this, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body and is himself its savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. So how does the church submit to Christ? We are the church, this body of believers, the people who have placed our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, this church body. How do we submit to Christ? Well, we, we surrender our lives. We offer up our trust. We allow him to lead. We gather together every Sunday and we spend 20 minutes of worship and so wives, you can spend 20 minutes a week worship. I'm just kidding. <laughs> It was a joke. <laughs> Sorry. I completely lost train of thought. It's not about who holds the authority. It's a heart of submission. It's a heart of surrender. But husbands, you're not off the hook. Because the, the wives have been given three verses of instruction from Paul. Guess how many it takes for us guys? Nine. Paul has to write three times the amount for it to sink in for us. We're, us men, we're, 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 we're not the sharpest tools in the shed. And it takes nine verses for this to sink in. Here's what it says. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. And that word love that Paul uses, 
There's three different versions of that word in the Greek language. One of them is the, the, the sexual context. One of them is this sort of community family love. But the one that Paul chooses to describe this charge toward husbands is agape, and that means a sacrificial love. Husbands, you are to give up yourselves. To put her first. To surrender your wants and your desires so that hers come first. It's a big deal what Paul is asking. But in the context of spiritual warfare, what Paul is doing is saying, you, you want to learn how to fight? Because make no mistake, like we were talking about, there is spiritual warfare raging, fighting for your heart every single day. And, and if the enemy is going to choose where to strategically strike, it's going to be in the places that are the most intimate and near and dear to us. And one of those places is within our home, within our marriage. He's going to try and weasel himself in to cause a little bit of separation, a little bit of animosity, a little bit of uh, pulling apart, a little bit of anger and bitterness and rage and, and malice. And you're like, that sounds like our drive to church today. Weird. <laughs> but the enemy is going to try and work himself into those most intimate places in our lives. And what we get to do is we get to fight back. We don't have to sit there and take this spiritual attack. We get, to, we get to choose where to fight, and that fight begins in our home. You know, the Bible calls us plunderers. I love that because that sounds like pirates. I'm like, yeah, pirates. We're plunderers. Throughout the Bible, God leading his people, the Israelites, Whenever they would conquer certain cities, God would say, go and plunder that city. Take everything of theirs, their wealth, their, their, their livestock, their, their gold and jewelry, all the things. In fact, when, when God called Moses to relieve and deliver the Israelites from being slaves of the Egyptians, God, uh, Moses comes in, God causes the, the 10 plagues to happen, and the, the Egyptians say, go. Take the Israelites and go. But first... Go and plunder them, and they will give you all of their gold, all of their wealth, all of their livestock. The Israelites come in and take the Egyptians, their enemies, out at the knees. And it happens again multiple times in the Old Testament where God says, go and plunder the city. I'm giving this to you. And so how do we plunder our enemy? How do we take away from him so that he has no fight? It starts within our home. And maybe you're sitting here today going, well, I, I, I'm, not, I'm not married. Maybe you're looking to be married. Maybe you were married once. Don't worry, there's something for you as well. But he says it starts at the top, right? This most intimate place of our life with the person that we've chosen to spend our life with, he says, this is where it begins and it flows out from here. That he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, 
without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that he might be holy, that she might be holy and without blemish. Now, what is he talking about? Culturally, this was talking about betrothal wedding stuff. In this culture, the man would come with a gift and arrange price for the marriage. That's just the way things were done back then. And he would speak these words of betrothal to her. And then he would leave and he would go and prepare his father's home to receive her. And during that time, she would cleanse herself and prepare herself for this marriage. And then at his word, they would be joined together. Now that's the way things were done. But I wonder, maybe there's something in here for us to take this literally that he might sanctify or set aside, that he might set her aside, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. Husbands, are you praying for your wife? Are you praying the word over your wife? Are you praying scripture over her? That you might set her aside as something holy and without blemish before God. Because if you want to learn how to take the fight to the enemy, to take the enemy out at the knees, start praying. Start praying for your wife. Start praying for your children. Start praying for your household. That is how you fight back. And in the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies, which means I love my wife a lot. He who loves his wife loves himself. It is a gift to yourself, men, if you choose to love your wife sacrificially when you set her before your own. Now, it sounds great, and I could stand up here and talk about that all day long, but to actually go out those doors and get in your car and drive home and put her needs before your own to actually live that out is difficult. It is, because we are sinful creatures. We are self-centered beings. We want to think about ourselves first. And what Paul is saying is if you want to take the enemy out so that he doesn't attack your home, put her first. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. However, here's sort of like the big idea at the end of this section. Paul says, let each of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Maybe you're not married yet, looking to be married. This is how you do it. Maybe you're currently married. This is how you do it. Maybe you're married, but it is on the brink of disaster. Maybe start practicing this. Submissive, sacrificial love and respect toward each other. And I guarantee God can do amazing things with that. But then it flows outward and downward from there. It starts at this pinnacle, the peak, the most intimate place of our lives, in our home, in our relationship. And then it trickles down from there. And he says, I, I'm going to plunder the enemy by how I love my family. That's what I'm going to do today. I'm going to plunder the enemy. I'm going to take away from him. I'm going to take away what he's capable of doing by how I choose to love. And then Paul goes on to say this. Children. Oh, you're not off the hook. <laughs> Obey your parents in the Lord for it's right. 
That's one of the Ten Commandments to honor your mom and your dad. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. Well, what's the discipline and instruction of the Lord? Loving sacrificially. It flows up to the top. Are you teaching your children to love the way that Jesus loved us? Are you teaching your children to put others' needs before their own or to think selfishly and fight for themselves? There's a, if we're talking about war movies, one of my favorite, all-time favorite war movies is Braveheart. Oh. Exactly. There's a scene at the beginning of the movie, though, young William Wallace, and they're at the, the, the graveside of, of his dad and his brother who were just killed in battle. And, and, and he pulls out the family sword, and he's holding the sword, and you can sort of see in his eyes that all he wants to do is fight back. And his uncle, Uncle Argyle, he says, first... I'm going to teach you to learn how to use this. And then I'm going to teach you how to use this. I want you to learn the tactics of warfare, how to fight back against our enemy, and then I'm going to give you the tools to do it. And that's where we jump in next week. Pastor Roy's going to be talking about the tools that we get to start using when we enter into the warfare against the enemy. But first, we need to know where the enemy is going to attack so that we can lay out a battle plan for our own lives, for our family's lives, so that our home is protected against the enemy. Fathers, parents, don't provoke your children to anger. Trust me, I've got four of them, and there's times... Rather, instruct them, bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord, knowing who you are, knowing how to fight, knowing where to fight, and the tools for fighting. Not at school, the spiritual warfare. Are you instructing your children in that way? Because by doing so, is another plunder move against the enemy. You're taking away from the enemy. It's one less tactic he has against your home. And then he continues outward. Bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling with a sincere heart as you would Christ. Not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. Back in this culture, Slaves and masters were just a common practice. It's the way it was. How can we apply this today? I think of this maybe as our jobs. And you might think, yeah, that's right. I do feel like a slave at my job. <laughs> but how do we live? Because, right, our, our, the enemy's going to attack us in our home, in our most intimate place. And then he's going to try and attack the next level, which is our children. And if that doesn't work, he's going to start attacking where we spend probably most of our time. And that's at our places of work. And he's saying, if, if you report to somebody, if you have a manager or a boss, someone that you are responsible to, obey them with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart. 
as you would Christ, as you would submit and surrender and follow Christ. He's saying, that's what I want you to do to the person that you report to. You're like, yeah, but he's a jerk. Not everybody loved Jesus either. And he sacrificially gave himself up for them too. Masters, managers, CEOs, direct reports. Do the same to them. Love them as Christ. And stop your threatening knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven. And that there is no partiality with him. He doesn't see your ranking and your position and your status. He sees people. He sees his children. And he expects his children to get along and to love each other, putting each other's needs before their own, sacrificially loving There is a spiritual battle waging over your life. It starts in your home and it flows out to everything, to every component of your life. How are you fighting it? Are you spending time praying over these areas of your life, praying over your spouse, praying over your children, praying scripture over your home? over your workplace, over your employees, over your manager. Because if you want to learn how to take the enemy out, how to fight back against this spiritual warfare that's happening, that's how to do it. Plunder the enemy. Plunder the enemy of his power by submitting, loving, and obeying like Christ. Jesus gave up everything for you and I. And he's calling us to live this life of, of, of sacrifice like he did to the people around us. And what God can do through that, because we're now taking the enemy out at the knees. The enemy has no attack against us when we're giving everything up. And he will transform your life. Would you bow your heads with me? God, it's easy to stand up here and say these things, to live sacrificially, to live humbly, to submit and obey, and yet walking out those doors and going on with our lives when the hustle picks up, when the morning rush, getting kids out the door, going to school, going to our places of work, managing a home. How easy it is to forget that there is still a spiritual war that is waging over our lives. May we choose to place you at the center. May we choose to give all authority and control of our lives over to you first and using your example, loving the people around us by submitting and loving sacrificially and obeying Thank you for setting the ultimate example of our lives, Jesus. Thank you for being the one to save us because we cannot save ourselves. We place our faith in you. We place our hope and our trust in you. 
And we ask you to go with us now the rest of this week. We say these things in Jesus' name. Amen.